my first question is, so Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. So my translator translates the question. Sister Tong gets this amazing smile on her face. She says something in Chinese and the translator says, oh yes, that was a wonderful time. And my first thought was, there's no way he translated the question right. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a weekly podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. In our last interview, we heard from John Erickson, the author of the popular children's book series, Hank the Cowdog. We also learned how John uses his Christian worldview to shape much of his Hank the Cowdog series and how he also had to understand how God's plan for him as a children's author was very different than his own. You can find that episode and more at compelledpodcast.com. Today's guest, though, is Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. Todd finds and tells stories of modern-day Christians who are being persecuted and martyred throughout the world. And he's had several defining experiences that have given him a unique perspective on persecution. That story coming up right after word from today's sponsor. I met with Todd Nettleton earlier this summer at the Voice of the Martyrs office in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, right as a storm was pulling in, so you'll occasionally hear some rolls of thunder in the background. Todd plays a key role at Voice of the Martyrs, which is documenting the martyrdom and persecution of Christians around the world today. He has a powerful desire to share the stories of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And of course, I wanted to know, how did God lead Todd into this field today? Todd began by telling me about a missionary that he read about in a book as a 10-year-old boy whose testimony inspired him. Stanley Dale went to New Guinea. Um, he's got a really an amazing story. He was a, a stubborn, bullheaded man, uh, but he loved the Lord and he wanted to share the gospel. And uh, his first mission board fired him. Oh, wow. His second mission board also fired him. <laughs> and yeah. um, he wanted to go where no one else was going. And... He finally went to this tribe called the Yali, uh, shared the gospel. Some of them got saved, uh, but they killed him. He was martyred, uh, shot with bow and arrows. Uh, and as each arrow hit him, he would pull it out, break it in half, and drop it on the ground. And as a 10-year-old boy, I could just, I was so captivated by that image of, you know, this guy who is so courageous and so bold and such a hero. Yeah. Um, then, you know, two years later, our family moves to the island of New Guinea, the very island where he had served. And in this book, it talks about what makes us do something, go to a place where they don't want us, put our life on the line. Um, Stanley Dale was inspired by the story of William Tyndale. Uh, he actually preached a sermon where he talked about William Tyndale and Tyndale translated the Bible into English, for which he was killed. Yeah. Uh, so he inspires Stanley Dale. Stanley Dale goes to New Guinea, gives his life, is martyred for the faith. His story is written down by Don Richardson. My dad reads it to my brother and I, and I'm inspired by his story. Uh, who knows who's going to be inspired by extreme devotion or by the work that I do now at Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and what story are they going to write that that my grandkids and my great-grandkids are going to read about someday? That's how inspiration works. But 
in order for that to happen, we have to tell the stories. We have to pass on, uh, whether it's you know reading to our kids or listening to a podcast or encouraging somebody else to listen to a podcast, what are we doing to pass on that inspiration? And I really, as I've thought about it in the last couple of weeks, um, I don't think it's an accident that my dad read the story of a Christian martyr to me when I was 10 years old, and I work at Voice of the Martyrs for the last 21 years. I, I think that's all part of God sort of preparing the way and, and drawing us along the path that he has for us. Tell me about Papua New Guinea just briefly. Like, what was that like as a 12-year-old kid? Papua New Guinea is a pretty amazing place. Uh, the island of New Guinea, on the island, there are more than a thousand languages spoken. Uh, and so you'll have little tribes of people where it's, you know, a few thousand people that speak the language. Uh, we were located in a city uh, where my parents were actually what <laughs> this sounds terrible, but my parents were called hostile parents, but it's H-O-S-T-E-L. Yeah. And uh, we lived in the city and had uh, anywhere from nine to 12 missionary kids that would come if their parents were out in the bush where there weren't any schools, they would come and live with us during the school year. Uh, and so I picked up, you know, nine to 12 brothers and sisters every semester. And uh, we would all sit around the table for dinner. It was quite a, quite an adventure. Uh Looking back on it now, I can't, as a parent now, I just can't imagine doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was part of their ministry. And then my dad was the pastor of an English-speaking congregation there. Uh, and so we served for four years. Um, if you look at some of the things that I do now and some of the skills that I have, some of them go back to the four years in Papua New Guinea because we didn't have a television. Yeah. Um, so I really... I say I learned to read. I knew how to read, obviously, but I learned to read for pleasure. And I learned to read uh, and really value storytelling and value words. Yeah. Uh, and what do I do now? I use words to tell stories about persecuted Christians. So I really trace the work that I do now to that move in 1982 to Papua New Guinea because it really did alter the course of my life wow. uh, in really dramatic ways. Todd eventually came back to the United States when he was 16 years old and went on to study journalism and communication in the middle of Oklahoma. And eventually he worked a handful of jobs, including for a newspaper at the college he had attended. But he still sensed that God was calling him elsewhere. I was feeling like I wanted to do something different, uh, but I wasn't 100% sure what it was. And I, uh, my wife and I talked about it. I sent a bunch of resumes. I actually sent a bunch of resumes back to California. Hey, maybe this is the time we'll move back to California. It's never, there's never ice storms there. It's wonderful. We should go there. Uh, and I never got even a sniff or a phone call. Wow. Nothing. It was like a brick wall. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget it because we were in a Bible study with some other young couples uh, that met on Wednesday nights. And I just shared one week in the Bible study. I said, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I feel like there's something different for me to be doing, um, but I've sent resumes. I've never gotten any callbacks. Nobody cares. Um, so just, you know, ask the group to pray, you know, that the Lord will open the right door at the right time. And, uh, Within 24 hours, actually, <laughs> I had two job offers. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, uh, wow, okay, we should have asked the group to pray sooner. Yeah. To. Um, so one of those was here at the Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, the lady that hired me, who actually is, her office is right through that wall there. Okay. Uh, but 
she was she is married to my college roommate, uh, and she was tasked. Vom was quite a bit smaller then than it is now. Uh, she was tasked with building a communications department. They didn't they did not have a communications department, uh, and so she was looking for somebody with a journalism background to tell stories. Yeah, uh, of persecuted Christians, and I love telling stories, and I do have a journalism background, uh, and so. About three months later, I started my first day at VOM, and uh, that was 21 years ago, and I'm still here. <laughs> wow, wow. So so for those that are listening, can you describe, what is Voice of the Martyrs? What does it do? I mean, there's a lot of people that have heard of it, but I know that there's many more have, what yeah. is Voice of the Martyrs? Sounds depressing. Well, <laughs> it It is not depressing. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry to persecuted Christians, and so... Uh, we serve in 70-plus countries where Christians face some kind of persecution or hardship for following Christ. Uh, and we do that through kind of three main areas in our overseas work. Uh, one is persecution response, which is basically helping those who've been persecuted. If you're injured in persecution, we'll help get medical care. Uh, if the pastor dad gets thrown in prison, we'll help pay the rent for mom and the kids or pay the school fees for the kids so they don't have to drop out of school. Um, so that's persecution response. The second area is Bibles. Uh, every year we distribute north of a million Bibles into wow. hostile and restricted nations. Uh, and then the third area is what we call frontline workers. Uh, and I sort of half-kiddingly call them pre-persecuted Christians because they are doing gospel work in a place where Christians are persecuted, uh, they likely will be persecuted at some point. And we've actually had some of our frontline workers have been martyred uh, because of their faith. So uh, persecution response, Bibles, frontline workers. And then here in the U.S., we tell the stories of persecuted Christians uh, to invite American Christians into fellowship, or what Paul calls the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Um, you know, the Bible says... When one part of the body suffers, we're all supposed to feel that pain. We can't do that if there's no connection. If we don't know that there's suffering going on, we can't feel the pain. Uh, so Voice of the Martyrs is a connection point, connecting the church in hostile and restricted nations with the church in, in the U.S. And that's that's really my part of the ministry, in, in writing stories, writing for the newsletter occasionally, uh, but then mostly in producing Voice of the Martyrs Radio, uh, which is our radio show and podcast uh, heard on a thousand, a little over a thousand radio stations, uh, as well as a podcast. And that's a great opportunity because you get to hear directly from the persecuted Christian. It's not me telling their story. It's them telling their story. Yeah, uh, I'm just asking questions and kind of trying to tee it up for them. So we have on the radio program, we have Christians who have faced persecution. We have frontline workers who are working in one of those restricted nations, but maybe haven't been persecuted yet. And then we have some of our own VOM staff who are in and out of those countries. Uh, when they come back from a trip, I'll drag them in the studio and say, hey, tell me about the people you met on your trip. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it is a a window into our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And like I say, that that creates a connection point where when they suffer, we suffer with them and we can pray for them and we can stand with them. As Todd has worked closely with those who have experienced persecution firsthand, a couple of key verses from the Bible have stood out to him. 
Hebrews 13.3 is remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. That's kind of the foundational verse for VOM. Uh, but then even in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you, yeah. uh, which is such a foreign concept for us as American Christians. Uh, almost none of us <laughs> would would be persecuted and think, boy, what a blessing I get to be persecuted. Yeah, um, We would say, hey, I'm calling my lawyer. I'm calling the cops. I'm calling somebody. Um Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you're persecuted." Yeah, tell us about um, tell us about a few of the stories that you've you've personally encountered. When you say persecuted Christian, the first story that I think of, and the first person, and I can absolutely picture in my mind, is a lady that we met in China uh, named Sister Tong. And my wife was with me on the trip, which was an added blessing. So she got to meet Sister Tong as well. But Sister Tong had just been released after serving six months in prison. Uh, and the reason she was thrown in prison is because she had what they would call an unregistered religious gathering at her home. So she was the host of a house church. Yeah. Uh, so they raided the church. They threw her in prison for six months, and she had just gotten out right before we went and saw her. Uh, and so this was this was 20 years ago now. It was very early in my time at VOM. And so I'm my first question is, so Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. And... Uh, what I'm picturing in my American journalistic mind is, you know, tell me how, how miserable it was. Tell me how hard the bed was. Tell me how cold it was. Tell me how the rain leaked in when it rained. Um, so my translator translates the question. Sister Tong gets this amazing smile on her face. She says something in Chinese and the translator says, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. And my first thought was, there's no way he translated the question right. <laughs> we seriously have a translation issue here because there is no way he asked about prison. And then she said, wonderful time. That just, that didn't compute with me at all. Um, but she went on to say then, you know, Jesus was so close to me in that prison cell. He was right there with me every single day. It was an amazing time with God. And she said, you know, there were some other ladies in my cell and they didn't know Christ. And so I got to be the one who shared Christ with them. And some of them are now walking with Christ. Yeah. So those six months was an amazing time because God was with me and he gave me a ministry to do there. Yeah. Uh, that absolutely exploded my mind. Yeah. I mean, just to think that someone could think of prison as a wonderful time was earth shattering to me. Um, and so I will, I will always think of that. And I... I picture her smile because we, and you mentioned it, you know, Voice of the Martyrs, that's probably depressing. We have this picture of, you know, these persecuted Christians are probably horribly depressed and just wondering if God is still on the throne. And boy, we probably need to go and encourage them and let them know that, that things are going to be all right. But when you go and sit down with them, they are not depressed. They are not discouraged. They are excited about what God is doing. They're excited about how the church is growing in their country. They're excited that they have an opportunity and a ministry to help with that growth. They are the farthest thing from depressed. And I frankly often come home and think, why don't, why aren't more people at my church, including me, like them, mm. having that sense of joy, having that sense of excitement? Wow, we get to serve the Lord today. Can you believe this? This is amazing. Instead of oh, you know, it's a rough week, and I just, well, this went wrong, and that went wrong, and my neighbors don't like me, and, uh, and it's like, wait a minute, we get to work with the King of Kings. What, yeah. What's not exciting about that? What's yeah. not to love? Yeah. So that's, Sister Tong is, immediately comes to mind just because of the impact she had on me just as a young 
sort of new to VOM yeah. reporter, yeah. Uh, hearing that, wait a minute, prison can be a wonderful time if God is the one who sends you there yeah. uh, and allows you to have a ministry there. Yeah, that truly sounds like a providential interview that like God had orchestrated for that formational point in your point in, that, in the VOM career that you had. Absolutely, it was. As I heard Todd's story about Sister Tong and her embrace of the persecution that she had undergone, I was struck by her submission to God's plan in her life. I then asked Todd, of all the people that he's met, what was one of the most convicting testimonies that he's encountered? You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right. You can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it or it didn't work out for you or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they wanna do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. 
Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. I get lots of conviction when I talk to persecuted Christians. Um, I think of how they treat their Bibles, how, how they value the Bible. I've found that very convicting. Um, but I think probably the most convicting is I met a man in Laos. Uh, the, the name that I've used for him is Brother Fan. And he had this amazing story. He lived in a village off in the sticks in Laos. Um, he decided, you know, this village life is not for me. I'm going to go to the big city. I've heard, you know, there's lots of opportunity there and I'll make lots of money and it'll be grand. And he went to Ventian, which is the capital city of Laos. Uh, and it was, they weren't very warm and welcoming and he didn't immediately find a job and things were pretty rough. And he remembered that he had heard that, you know, if you find a building with a cross on top, sometimes they have free rice and he was hungry. Mm. Uh, and so he was like, I, uh, I'm going to try that. And he found a church. He went inside. He heard the gospel. He got saved and immediately got on the bus, went back into the sticks to his village and led over a hundred people to Christ. Wow. With one sermon, wow! <laughs> he had heard one sermon, wow! Uh, so he just went back and repeated what he had been told, oh, praise and God. led a hundred people to Christ. Um, that story convicted me incredibly, because as a pastor's kid, as a missionary kid, I've heard thousands of sermons, thousands. But how often do I hear that sermon and immediately? put it into practice or immediately go to someone and say, hey, my pastor shared this story today. I just got to tell you this. Almost never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is not my typical sermon response. Yeah. Um, so I found Brother Fan's story just incredibly convicting that, you know, if, if God could use one sermon in his life to lead 100 people to Christ, what if we give God the three sermons that we hear every week or the thousands of sermons that we've heard over our lifetime, what could God do if, if we were willing to, to be an instrument of that, what could he do with that? Well, yeah. who knows? I mean, he could change the world, Yeah. Uh, but we have to be willing and we have to understand that we're not just going to church to get a sermon to sort of, to feel good or to check it off our list for the week or to just grow ourselves in a vacuum. The whole point is we're being equipped to reach out. We're being fueled to spread that around. And Brother Fan was a great reminder of that for me. Thanks for sharing that. I'm just like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted just hearing that. Because I, I think you've about, heard more than one sermon also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Let me share one more story yeah, that, please. that really was a God thing. Um, and I may, <laughs> I may cry while I tell this story. In 2007, there were three men that were killed in uh, the offices of a Christian publishing house in Turkey. Mm. Um, the first, it was the first, two of them were Turkish, one was German. And it was the first Turkish martyrs since the Turkish revolution. So oh, wow. in basically in a hundred years, um, the first time Turkish Christians had laid down their lives for Christ. Yeah. And... That happened, I believe, on a Wednesday. 
on Friday afternoon, I was at my desk. We were not in this building. We were at the old building. And a uh, phone call comes through from a guy in Turkey. I, I have no idea why he called VOM. I have no idea why the call got routed to me. Um, but he was calling because one of the Turkish Christians was going to have his funeral the next day. And he was just asking us to pray because this man's family was still Muslims. Mm. Uh, and there was the potential for some real problems at that funeral. And he just said, you know, hey, we're here. I don't know what you can do about it. I sent an email around to the staff before I left for the weekend. Um, but somehow that's, that story just kind of grabbed me, you know, in a God way. I don't have an explanation for it, but it just kind of lodged in my mind. Yeah. The next week we're sitting around our table at home. We're reading our devotional about Elisha. And somehow... I just began to weep at the table. And I think my family thought, <laughs> dad is finally cracking up. Um, and I I think from the Lord, I really began to pray because those three men, two of them were married and had five kids. Uh, the third man was engaged, but not married yet. Mm. Um, but I began to pray for those kids that, that God would give them, as he did in the case of Elisha, a double portion of their father's spirit. Yeah. Um, and so that was my prayer. And I I didn't think much about it. We didn't have any more contact from Turkey. I didn't know, uh, you know, much. I knew the funeral had gone off without a problem. So that was good. Uh, but seven weeks later, I was in Turkey. Uh, and, and VOM had sent me to try to do some interviews. And we're going to do some writing about this story. So go and interview. And... Uh, Amazing, amazing God thing. It's a long story. We'd have to take like four podcasts to tell it. But <laughs> um, the first widow that I went to talk to at first didn't want to talk to me. Um, and then she said, okay, go ahead and come. And we had an, an amazing visit, just a mm -hmm. really great visit. Um, then we went and met the fiance of the third man. And she was devastated. Yeah. Um, one of the things in her story that is really sad is a lot of people in her community and even some in her own family didn't know that she was a Christian before this. Uh, and so she went from not being identified as a Christian to suddenly having her name and her home address published in the local paper oh, as, man. Hey, this is a Christian. Um, the other part, and, and I, this was explained to me by some of our Turkish coworkers that, that were along with me was, uh, if she had shown the full extent of her grief in the Turkish culture, it would have said that her and her fiance were sleeping together because, you know, how could you be that sad if you weren't sleeping together? And so she couldn't really show how heartbroken she was. She, she had to kind of keep a stiff upper lip and, and just be like, yeah, it's sad, but you know, and which when we met with her, she was devastated. She yeah. was just absolutely devastated. And as a young single Christian in a culture where there aren't hardly any Christians, she also was devastated by the thought that I may never get married now because, you know, how, what, my chances of finding a Christian husband in this culture are minimal. I found one. What's the chances that I'll ever find another one? Yeah. Uh, and so her heartbreak was just so palpable. So I met with them and then I flew to another part of Turkey where I was going to try to meet with the third widow. And I had a pastor that 
picked me up and he was going to take me. And uh, we got in the car, we start driving and his phone rings. And, and I could just see on his face that it wasn't good news. Uh, and he hung up the phone. He didn't speak a lot of English, but he said, she's tired. She said, don't come today. And I'm like, I'm flying home tomorrow. So, so this is my only day. Um, but I also thought, you know, I've got to meet this first widow. I had an amazing interview with her. I got to meet the fiance. And I was like, Lord, you know, this has already been an amazing trip. If this third widow, if this third woman can't see me, this has already been amazing. You've blessed me amazingly to let me come and do this. Um, and so the pastor and I went to breakfast and he was just going to take me to my hotel. I figured I'd have an extra day of just kind of bumming around in Istanbul, which I love Istanbul. So that was no problem. Uh, so we're eating breakfast and his phone rings again. Uh, and he looks at me after he hangs up and says, she said, go ahead and come. We can come for an hour. Uh, and I'm like, okay, that's great. So we drove and it was like an hour drive to get there. And I've, you know, we met another guy who was kind of, I found out later was kind of screening us to make sure, yeah, is this okay? Should we really do this? Yeah. Um, and then we went and met with this lady. Her name is Shemsa. And I walked in the door and she introduced me to her daughter, whose name is Esther. And she introduced me to her son. And she said, this is Elisha. And I was just like, I've been praying for a double portion of God's spirit to fall on these children. And I've come half a world away and his name is Elisha. I would just, it literally took my breath away. I was like, oh, I can't believe this. Um, and so I had to tell him the story. I'm like, you know, we were reading devotions at our table. I started crying. I've been praying for your kids to have a double portion. I can't believe your son's name is Elisha. And that sort of just broke all the ice. And we ended up, like I said, we spent about eight hours together and she shared her story. Um, they had an amazing, amazing story because early on in their married life, her husband, she had actually helped lead him to Christ. Uh, and then they got married, they were in ministry together and he got arrested and spent about a month in prison. And she said, after he was released from prison, they sat down and they talked about, okay, we could be Christians and go to church on Sunday and even do some ministry stuff, but, but kind of low-key it. And we probably won't have any more trouble. We probably won't have any more persecution. You don't have to go to jail again. Or we can do everything that God calls us to do and go 100 miles an hour. But if we do that, there will be persecution. Yeah. And they sat down and decided together, no, we're going to go 100 miles an hour. We're going to do everything God asks us to do. And if there's persecution, so be it. God is faithful. Yeah. Uh, so they made that decision. A few years later, her husband was martyred. Uh, but it, it wasn't a surprise to them. It was a decision they had already made. They had already counted the cost. So we spent just an amazing day hearing her story and recording it and talking to her and praying together and eating together and drinking tea together and uh, all those wonderful Central Asian uh, fellowship rituals. Um, and so I came home to America. I, I got to write a feature for our newsletter here at Voice of the Martyrs. I got to do a lot of radio interviews talking about Turkey, talking about these amazing ladies and, and their story. And a few years later, uh, Shemsa actually left Turkey and moved to America and settled in Denver, Colorado. Wow. And uh, my wife is from Colorado Springs. So one summer we were up at her folks' house and we were going to be in Denver that day. Uh, and I just sent an email to Shemsa and said, you know, could we take you out to lunch while we're there? 
Um, she said, yes, that's, that's fine. Uh, but my in-laws went with us and at the end of the lunch, they, you know, exchanged phone numbers and said, Hey, we just live down in Colorado Springs. If you ever need any help, we could, um, you know, we're happy to help. We're not that far away. And since that time, um, they have kind of become adopted grandparents to Shimsa's kids. Mm. Uh, and so I've come to see very clearly that God, it was totally God's plan that I get that phone call on a Friday afternoon that just came through the switchboard and that I go to Turkey and meet these families because God wanted to connect Shimsa with my in-laws. And that wouldn't have happened if it had been someone else that went over there and saw them. And so that has been a very pivotal sort of turning point for me too. And just seeing God doesn't just ordain, hey, here's a job for you. Like he ordains specific tasks and specific contacts and specific relationships that he wants to use to shape you and to shape the other person. Uh, and so I don't, I've, since that time, I think I do a better job of not taking for granted every every interaction, every yeah. conversation, every meeting, uh, every place that I get to go, the, the person who sits beside me on a plane, it's not an accident that that person's sitting there. God knew from the creation of the world that we were going to be sitting there together. Um, and so just having my eyes a little more open to see God's hand at work in my life and in the lives of the people around me, I think was a result of that trip to Turkey. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of the Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. The world tells young women to seek popularity, beauty, pleasure, or whatever will make them happy. Yet the more they chase after those worldly dreams, the emptier they become. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a special conference designed for mothers and daughters to encourage them that there is just one thing worth seeking after, Jesus Christ. The conference is called Seeking Christ and takes place at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, September 20 and 21st. The conference is taught by Sarah Malley Hancock, the founder of Bright Lights Ministry, and includes skits, real-life examples, studies for moms and daughters to do together, and bonus sessions by Ken Ham and Martin Isles from Answers in Genesis. Plus, you'll get to walk through the full-scale replica of Noah's Ark there at the Ark Encounter, which I've actually done and is incredible. Young women will be challenged to seek the Lord first in their lives, deepen their love for God's Word, be rooted in their identity in Christ, gain vision for close family relationships, and shine their light brightly for the Lord. 
The primary focus is for young women ages 10 to 18 and their mothers, but of course, women of all ages are welcome to come. Learn more at brightlightsministry.com. Again, that's brightlightsministry.com. As I wrapped up my conversation with Todd, I had a few last questions I wanted to ask. You use the term brother and sister to describe these martyrs. Can you go into detail on that? I think that's one of the key things for American Christians to understand. These are our brothers and sisters. These are parts of our spiritual family. Uh, and I have, I have two earthly brothers, and if one of them was in jail getting beaten on every day, I would be beside myself. I would be calling my congressman. I would be calling the police warden. I'd be calling the press. I'd be calling everybody who would listen yeah. to say, listen, they're beating on my brother. You got to do something about this. Yeah. They are beating on our brothers. They are beating on our sisters. Uh, we need to have that sense of urgency that comes out of understanding that family relationship that no, it's not just a, a guy in China. It's my brother in China. Uh, and so that's why I, I emphasize that, because it is that family relationship, and it gives us that sense of urgency. Yeah, yeah. What would you say along those same lines? What would you say for those that are listening? Like, how, how, how can someone get involved? Like, here we are in cozy America or Canada or wherever our listeners are. What can we literally do? I always encourage people to go through a three-step process, and the first step is pray. And that's the first thing that persecuted Christians ask us to do. Uh, and they, interestingly, because this is different, I think, from most of how most of us would be, it's not a prayer that persecution will stop or that they won't suffer anymore. It's a prayer that they will be faithful to Christ in spite of the hardship, wow. in spite of the suffering. Wow. So number one, pray. Uh, and again, that's their request, not mine. Number two is educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively. Uh, because it's easy to say, God bless the persecuted church, uh, but it's also easy to forget to say, God bless the persecuted church. But when it's a specific pastor in a specific prison, then it's it's more personal and it's more direct. God bless this pastor or a specific country, a specific people group. Pray educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively. And then step three is, as you're praying and as you're learning more, God's going to open some doors in front of you, or he's going to lay some things on your heart and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And then you just have to obey. Uh, and Voice of the Martyrs has lots of ways to help connect you. One of the ways is, is prisoneralert.com. We have a website where you can write letters to Christians in prison. The website actually translates it into the language of the prisoner. So when you print it out, it's in their language. Um, you know, they can read it. The guards can read it when it gets to the prison. So maybe when you're praying and learning more, God's going to say, hey, I want you to write letters to prisoners. Okay, do that. Maybe he's going to say, I want you to send Bibles. Do that. Maybe he's going to say, get on a plane and go to China, go to Afghanistan, do that. But I think it starts as we pray and as we learn more, that kind of gives God some room to lay different things on our heart. Yeah. Um, I think as Americans, we can sometimes look at the persecuted church and say like, oh man, that's awful. And also we can say, wow, they're the real believers. They, And we get this guilt complex in ourselves. Like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm doing nothing. Can you speak to that? I'm not responsible to live a Christian life in China because I don't live in China. 
Um, and, and I think, I think there's danger on both sides. Like you say, there, there's the guilt complex of, wow, you know, they're super Christians and I'm like a rookie and I'm trying to, no, 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 God, we serve the same God. So if there's, if you see less of God's power in your life than you do in somebody else's life, it's not because God is less powerful. It's because you're maybe not accessing the full extent of his power. Uh, so there's that side, but there's also, like you say, then the the sort of guilt side of, well, I don't do anything. I don't do this. You're accountable to live for God in the situation that God has placed you in. Uh, and if he didn't put you in persecution, then he doesn't expect you to be persecuted. Uh, and the flip side of that is if he does put you in persecution, he will give you the grace to endure it. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations of that is comes from a lady named Hanalee Gronwald. Uh, and it was her family, her husband and two teenagers were martyred by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And actually, they're the names that we just added to the monument on, on the day of the Christian martyr. But Hanalee Gronwald talked about and I had her on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. She talked about the fact that if you had asked her a year before her family was killed, Hanalee, do you have the kind of faith that would survive your whole family being martyred in the same day? She would have said, no, I don't, I'm not even close to that kind of faith. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, and, and she compared it, the grace to go through that to a boarding pass that you get when you get on a plane. Uh, and you don't get your boarding pass a year before you get on the plane. You get your boarding pass when you go to the airport and check in when it's time for the flight. And she said God's grace for her to go through that came to her literally in the hours and days right before her family was killed. She said, even looking back now, in the days before that, God was building up her faith and God was ministering to her and strengthening her to get her ready, she knows now, to get her ready to go through what I think would be the worst thing that any of us could ever have to go through. So that's very comforting to me because I'm not persecuted. And I sometimes wonder, well, if I was persecuted, would I, would I have the faith? Would I be able to stand up to it? She says, you don't have to be ready to stand up to it now because when that day comes, God will give you the grace to yeah. go through it. God will provide what you need. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's very comforting to us as American Christians. If our day comes when we are persecuted, God's grace will be there to carry us through that persecution. And uh, so we don't have to we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to worry about it. And we certainly don't have to feel guilty for not being persecuted now. If our day comes, God's grace will be there for us. I think that's an excellent point. Like when we look at the New Testament, you know, when Jesus or the Apostle Paul or whoever it is, is talking about persecution, they're not saying, be afraid of persecution. Right. They're saying, be strong, stand firm in the face of persecution. And, you know, Tertullian is the one who's famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In the midst of persecution, there are opportunities for the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we talk about prison ministry in China, it's when you get arrested and you go to prison and you do ministry. Yeah, uh, it's not like a Saturday night thing where you just go visit. You no, you know, you you're an inmate. You're there. Yeah. Um, when we are persecuted, the world is watching. Even though our persecutors are watching, how do we respond to that? Is our faith real? Is God is God really that powerful that He can help us to love our persecutors? Well, yes, He is because Jesus told us we're supposed to do that. And he doesn't ask us to do things that are impossible, but that's an amazing witness. When, when a, the world watches and says, wait a minute, that guy beat on you and you still loved him? What, how could you do that? Well, let me tell you how. That, that's an incredible opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. In the weeks that have passed since my interview with Todd, I've thought about persecution very differently. Whenever I hear about it on the news or in the headlines, I remember what Todd said that persecuted believers want the most. They want prayer, but not prayer for relief. Rather, they want prayer that God would give them the strength to endure. One other thing that struck me is how God has orchestrated events, both throughout history and in our individual lives, to bring Him glory. And although Todd's friend Shimsa, the widow from Turkey, had a terrible experience in losing her husband, God has used that experience to strengthen her faith and the faith of others around her, and even those that have never met her, but have heard her story through either Todd or Voice of the Martyrs, or even through this podcast interview. To learn more about Todd and his work at Voice of the Martyrs, visit persecution.com. And I'd also encourage you to check out his radio show and podcast called Voice of the Martyrs Radio at vomradio.net. Again, that's vomradio.net. You can also visit our website, compiledpodcast.com, and look up this episode for links to both of those websites, as well as some books and other resources that Todd has created. We're also giving away two resources from Voice of the Martyrs this week. One of them is a book called Restricted Nations, written by Todd about persecution in North Korea. And yes, it is autographed. The second resource is a feature film that Voice of the Martyrs recently created called Tortured for Christ, which is about the life and testimony of Richard Wormbrandt, who was imprisoned and tortured for 14 years in Romania for his faith in Christ. And he eventually became the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. We'll choose a winner for each of these resources a week from now. So to enter the drawing, just head to compelledpodcast.com, find this episode, and you'll see the entry form towards the bottom of the page. Again, you can find all of that and more at compelledpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the content from this episode, then I'd really encourage you to listen to episode eight of Compelled, which is my interview with Steve Cleary, the first employee of Voice of the Martyrs, who also happens to be the producer of the movie Tortured for Christ. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Compelled Podcast and on Twitter at Compelled Show. Also, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It's one of the best ways to help other people find our show. And if you'd like to support the work that we're doing with our podcast, here are a couple of ways that you can help out. The first way you can support Compelled is by sharing this episode with your friends. If you know someone who would be encouraged by Todd's story, then send this episode to them and consider sharing it on social media. It really makes a difference and helps spread the word about the show. The second way is to join Compelled as a monthly member starting at $10 a month. As a monthly member of Compelled, you'll receive access to different perks, including behind-the-scenes recordings from our interviews, which is definitely the most popular perk for our members. When I actually sit down and interview guests, the actual recording is normally around two hours, and there are all kinds of stories and insights that we end up cutting out of the final episode because of time constraints. But if you really enjoyed listening to a guest like Todd today, then you can dive deeper and listen to all of the behind-the-scenes content, not just from today's episode, but from all the other episodes that we've released behind-the-scenes content for so far. And you can listen to all of that when you become a monthly member. You can become a monthly member today by visiting compelledpodcast.com and clicking the link at the top that says become a member. This episode was edited by Zach Fowler. Find him online at zachfowlerimagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost. View his work at siadesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups. Follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Our media assistant is Frank Allegrea. Find him on Twitter at TheFrankAllegrea. Our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Facchino, and our assistant producer is none other than my wonderful wife, Sarah Hastings. 
Stay tuned for next week's episode with Jonathan Pacheco. Jonathan suffered a spinal cord injury at birth, which should have left him dead. But instead, Jonathan has lived his entire life in a wheelchair. He has a powerful testimony of how God brought him to salvation and then carried him through many of life's hardest struggles, not only through his disability, but even now through leukemia. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.